There's just so much peace because of that. I am going to start off, though, uh, today's message uh, with some humor. So it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but uh, sometimes you've worked at corporations and they have motivational uh, posters, right? And they're trying to inspire you to be a better employee or a better person. Well, there's a place that's called Despair, Inc., and... uh, they produce demotivational posters. And uh, their little caption says, We believe it's time people face the truth that any kind of motivation you can buy isn't worth owning. And at the end will only result in further demoralization. Given that inevitable fact, we'd like to invite you to skip the delusions of motivational products and head straight for the disappointment that follows. And so look at these, these demotivational uh, posters and, and it's just have uh, fun and, and tongue in cheek, but it'll set up the sermon. Ambition: the journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. <laughs> Do you see the fish is about to go? How about the next one? Mistakes: it could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> How about the next one? Hope: and there's buzzards that are flying overhead. May not be warranted at this point. How about the next slide? Bravery. (laughs) Every man dies. But not every man truly lives only to die of sheer stupidity. (laughs) And curiosity. Some places remain unknown because no one has ever ventured forth. Others remain so because no one has ever come back. And the last one. Two snowmen out in the sun. Recognition. Having your moment in the sun isn't always a good thing. Now, that was all said in tongue-in-cheek to kind of set up today's passage. Because where were we last week? We're in the darkness. We're in the crucifixion. Jesus was crucified. And so I want you to start to feel like the disciples felt, the apostles, the 11 that were left behind. I want you to start feeling like they felt on Friday night, Saturday, waiting for uh, Sunday. But they still didn't quite get it. And so despair, though, is really immobilizing. It's very demotivational. Because where were the disciples? Their dreams? Dead. Their future? Dead. Their Messiah? Dead. Their hope? Dead. Emotional darkness came flooding in and they're drowning in it. In fact, here's the definition of despair. To lose all hope or confidence. And despair leads to depression inability to concentrate, insomnia. You don't even have the, the ability to feel pleasure anymore. You, you eat lobster, but it feels like you're eating sand because you're discouraged and you're in depression and you're in despair, extreme sadness. And maybe, maybe these thoughts were going through the disciples' head. Maybe the leaders were right. Maybe Jesus was a fraud. Maybe the miracles were some sort of manipulation of something and they, and they were disillusioned. The memory of the miracles is already starting to get cloudy. They're emotionally distraught. They were really in the first stages of grief. I don't know if you know the stages of grief, but the very first one is, is shock and then denial. 
They cannot get their head wrapped around the fact that Jesus has been murdered by the government. Murdered by the religious leaders. They can't get their heads wrapped around it. It can't be true that Jesus is crucified. They're grieving a lost friend, their lost future, their lost dreams. We've all stood beside graves, haven't we? And there's a finality to it. Despair is not just depression, but hopelessness. Can't see around the bend. And if you do think there's something around the bend, there's a foreboding spirit thinking that what's around the bend is the boogeyman and you're going to get taken. Stops you in your tracks and immobilizes and you can't move forward. That's where the disciples are. So, you have your Bibles with you? Turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. This is kind of the pre-what pre, pre we're going to uh, get to the, the passage itself, but it's Friday afternoon, and we're going to pick it up at verse 38. Jesus is dead. He's not asleep. He is dead. Beginning at verse 38 of chapter 19, it says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took it away, that is, the body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. When somebody died a long time ago, because of no refrigeration, because of all that, a body quickly deteriorated. You had to get it into the grave. And so immediately they jump into action. Verse 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been yet laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus in that tomb. Now, The text doesn't say anything about the disciples. Where's the disciples? You would think that they had such a great love for Jesus that they would be the ones that would go and take the body and prepare it for burial. But the disciples can't be found. And the prophecy is fulfilled that said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. But we know out of Luke chapter 24 that they were downcast Talk about being demotivated. They were in the grips of depression and despair. Peter weeps bitterly. Do you think that Peter starts to blame himself because he didn't stand up for Jesus? That he didn't go in and make a ruckus? I think that he felt some guilt that Jesus is dead because of him. I don't know how that would make you feel, but I could imagine the weight is crushing. That he not only denies Jesus three times, maybe he had the opportunity to do something so there'd be a different outcome. Here's the very first fill in the blank. The hearts of the disciples were what? They're empty. They're afraid. They're alone. Do you notice they're hiding? They're hiding from the religious leaders because they're going to stamp Jesus and his followers and this movement clear off the face of the earth. 
So they are in hiding. Despair has overtaken them. Hopelessness has overtaken them. Depression. They just murdered God. Darkness is triumphing or being triumphant. And your sense of righteousness, everything good in this world was just taken away from you. How can we make it through Saturday? Are we resigned just to surrender? Are we resigned to apathy? Are we resigned to pessimism? Are we resigned to just walk away? Their faces were downcast. You know, the disciples aren't the only ones that have to deal with despair. We have to deal with despair, don't we? We deal with hopelessness. You've probably been there too. Sometimes the only salve that's going to heal a heart is Jesus. Let me say that again. Jesus is the only salve that will hold, heal a heart because there's an emptiness. And what do people try to do today to fill emptiness? They stuff it with things. They stuff it. Oh, the list is endless. We could sit here and come up with a thousand things from, from drug, sex, and rock and roll to everything in that we stuff materialism. We have to have the biggest house, the biggest car. We have to have the nicest skin. We have to have the nicest clothes. But there's a gnawing feeling of emptiness inside that only Jesus can fill. They fill it. Their hearts are empty. So now it's Saturday night. After the Sabbath, the sun goes down. The women go and they buy spices to finish the job that Joseph and Nicodemus started. They might not even know that Joseph and Nicodemus had already wrapped the body for as all we know. We're not told. They just go and they get the spices and they're going to wrap Jesus. And the women go to the tomb early Sunday at dawn carrying the spices. Now, the boys use 75 pounds of spice. That's a lot of spice, isn't it? We don't know. We're not told how much spice they're bringing. And they're wondering, Scripture says, as they're walking to the tomb of Jesus, they're asking, who in the world is going to roll away the stone that is keeping us separated from Jesus? And they get there, and the angels have rolled away the stone and says, he's risen, and the tomb is empty. And they're to go tell the disciples, and they run from the tomb. We don't know if they left the spices. They might have, they might have not. They go tell the eleven, Simon and Peter, I mean Simon, Peter, and John, which is interesting. There's eleven disciples there, and only two of them have the curiosity to go to the tomb. If you were told your loved one was alive, would you go, or would you send somebody else? There's 11 of them and only two go. And Peter's the faster runner, apparently, or John is. John gets there and he stoops in and he's looking at what he's, the, at what he's looking at. And Peter, a little slower, but gets there, he rushes right in. And he sees the linen cloth. Can't figure it out. But in chapter 20 of verse 8, John is written of, he saw and believed because the body was gone, but the wrappings were still there. Remember when you were a kid and you were in second grade and you had to make a paper mache of the world? You took a balloon, blew it up, and then you got starch and you got newspaper and you laid it over the balloon, and then what did you do? 
You pop the balloon, and what was left? The form, the cocoon. That's what John's looking at. They have wrapped Jesus with 75 pounds of ointment. That's a lot of ointment. And it's only been since Friday that they did it. John looks in, and the weight, it's not starch like we did paper mache. These are spices. Aloe, watery. It has collapsed the cocoon. And Jesus' body isn't there. It's, it's gone. And the hearts of the disciples were empty, but here's the next fill in the blank. But then the tomb was empty. Mary's going to come back and ask the, who she supposes the gardener is. Where have you laid my Lord? And what happens? The gardener isn't the gardener, it's Jesus. And she calls her name Mary. And she freaks out and she realizes it's Jesus. This is the time where Jesus calls the disciples brothers for the first time. She says, I've seen the Lord, but they don't believe it. Now let's go back to the text. We're going to pick it up at John 20, verses 18, and this is our text for today. John chapter uh, 20, John chapter 20, beginning at verse 18. Um, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. And they're not really believing it. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side where they pierced him, and the blood and the water rushed out. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Because I imagine they're freaking out a bit. And as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. But look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Just put that in your brain for just a second. Because Thomas is missing. We don't know where he is, but I'll tell you what, when you miss church, you're like Thomas. You're going to miss out on something good because Jesus just showed up. Amen? Now, Jesus is going to show up. Thomas isn't there. Ten disciples suddenly get on fire. They're excited. Their despair has changed completely around, and now they're excited that death could not hold Jesus. But Thomas, he's still in despair. Look at the rest of the verses, verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Look at Thomas's attitude. But he said to them, unless I see his hands 
in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. He makes a bold statement. What does he say? I will never believe. Now, you got to give Thomas a little credit. When Jesus does show up, he invites the disciples to look at his hands. He invites them too. So Thomas is not asking for anything more than what Jesus has already done, but it is his attitude that he says, I will never believe. Now look how long he has to stay in this state of despair and depression and discouragement and thinking that all of his buddies have lost their mind. Verse 26 says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them this time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. And then Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet believed. That would be you and I, folks. We believe the testimony of men that lost their lives because they weren't willing to recant what their eyes saw and what they knew to be true. So here's the third fill in the blank. Sadly, Thomas was still empty. Where's Thomas? Maybe he kept in isolation. Maybe from despondency. Maybe he drank. Maybe he was consumed with other things to fill that emptiness. Maybe he got involved in sports. Maybe he spent all his time on Facebook. Maybe he was in social media. We don't know. But it's a double negative. Did you notice he says a double negative? I will not unless I. I will not and unless. Now, it's interesting. Go back to verse 25. And it says, so the other disciples told him. Just the word told in the original language means it wasn't a one-time deal. They didn't say, hey, we saw Jesus. The way the word is constructed in the original language, it means they kept on telling him. They were trying to convince him. No, we've seen Jesus. We've seen Jesus. We we saw him. He ate. He's real. He's not a a, a phantom. He's not a spirit. We saw the body. We saw the holes. We saw the side. We saw everything. They kept on telling him, but he said, I ain't going to believe it. I ain't going to believe it. No doubt the women were testifying, and the two guys that were on the road to Emmaus, if you know that story, they were probably a part of the small little group by now, too. You know, it's funny that, did you notice, maybe in your version, maybe not, but in verse 24, he's known as Thomas, called the twin. His name means twin, which means he's a twin. Times maybe we're his twin when we doubt. Because maybe all of us sometimes live in despair and hopelessness. Thomas had to go 10 days before he saw Jesus, 10 days of fear, 10 days of anxiousness, 10 days of emptiness. 
You know, it's so interesting. You tell a man that there are 581 trillion 678,934,341 stars in the universe, he'll believe you. You tell him that's wet paint, he's going to go touch it, isn't he? Here's the application to today's message. The empty tomb was full of hope. Someone said we can live 40 days without food, we can live 8 days without without water. We can live four minutes without oxygen, but we can only live a few seconds without hope. We said it a few weeks ago, faith in Jesus brings hope when all other human hope is gone. Let me say that again. Faith in Jesus brings hope when all human hope is gone. Hebrews, it says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. Corinthians says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. First Peter says, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Later on in First Peter, he says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe and rejoice with great joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Because faith in Jesus brings hope when all human hope is gone. The empty tomb was full of hope because your Savior lives. Your Redeemer still rescues. Your salvation still cometh. Your fortress still stands. Your rock is still immovable. The light still shines. The path has been cleared. Joy has come. The shepherd still leads. By his power he protects The lion of Judah still roars. The lamb was victorious. Your king still is on the throne. Your deliverer is coming. Your Messiah lives. And your Jesus has conquered death. People live with emptiness, stuffing all sorts of junk into their lives, looking for fulfillment, looking for purpose, looking for a destiny, looking for something that will end in ruin. What they need is Jesus. He is alive. It's so sad that our world in the United States has degenerated down to Christian bashing. This week on The View, they're making fun of our vice president who says that he talks to Jesus and Jesus talks to him. And the lady on The View said, that's mental illness. Mental illness to know that Jesus is alive And he is your savior, he is your companion, he is your friend, he is your rock. He is the one that gets you through the roughest day because he is alive, he's not dead. And he has the ability to speak through his word, through creation, a whispering. Yesterday when we were up in the mountains and we had a morning with Jesus, many of us had some pretty cool moments. Amen? Because Jesus is not dead We can't find him in a tomb. And their Saturday turned into Sunday morning. 
And their emptiness ended when they saw Jesus. And the tomb was full. It was full of joy because our Savior lives. That's what sharing Christ is all about. Leading people out of despair and hopelessness to peace with Jesus. Uh, do you see the, I don't know, uh, what's the next slide look like? I don't even remember. Yeah, there it is. Do you see that? This bridge that is there, the bridge that's on your outline is the only bridge that will work that will lead someone out of despair to hope and that is faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. The empty tomb is more than an empty tomb. It is a bridge to life. Here's the next fill in the blank. The empty tomb isn't where dreams die. It's where they come alive. Faith brought hope. Trust brought healing. Obedience brought reconciliation. And guess what came in the morning? Joy. Do you know someone in despair? Do you know somebody that's chasing the golden ring? They're chasing other things to feel good about themselves. You know what they need? They need Jesus. Jesus invites all. Jesus isn't pretentious. Jesus knows every tear that you have dropped from your eyes. He knows what it's like to be you because he took on human flesh we celebrate that at Christmas, but then the world seems to forget about the resurrection and the power of living a new life. I am a new creation. You, if you have given your throne up to the Lord, are a new creation in Christ, and He is going to make you into the man or woman that He's always dreamt you to be. Have you ever realized that God has dreams for you? And all we do is have to surrender. And the despair goes away. The fear goes away. And suddenly we're filled with that joy. Do you know, my Jesus? If you don't, I invite you to go out to coffee with me. I'll even go to Starbucks. I'll go to the McDonald's so that we can have an honest relation, uh, an honest conversation about where you're at in your walk of faith. My number's always on the bulletin. You can call me 24-7. I don't care. And I've had some of those calls at 2 a.m. in the morning because you never know when the Holy Spirit's going to grab your heart and you are faced with your destiny. An eternity without Jesus. I know many of your faith walk, but I'm talking about your friends and your neighbors and maybe even your children. Maybe people that, that just, you know, don't have a walk or a relationship with the Lord. And your heart is breaking for them because you want them to experience the hope that you have because your Savior lives. Your Savior reigns. And so I know it's a month before Easter and we're celebrating the resurrection, but believe it or not, 
We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday when we take the Lord's Supper. We are proclaiming his death, burial, but also his life because that bread represents his life. It's just encompassing everything about Jesus, not just on the cross, but how he speaks to us and how he loves us and is tender. Are you in a trial? Call out to Jesus. Are you in a temptation? call out to Jesus. Is your world spinning out of control? Call out to Jesus. He says, I will yoke up with you. I will carry your burden, but you have to lay it down first.